Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Radically Loved Podcast. I am extremely excited for today's guest. I had the pleasure of meeting her last year. I feel like it was last year. Maybe it was two years ago. I can't remember. But today we have Sadvi Sadali Shri. And Sadvi in Sanskrit term, it means virtuous woman. And it refers to women who have renounced their possessions and chosen to live apart from society to focus on a spiritual life. Therefore, Sadvi means female monk and is a term that signifies nunhood. And there's so many incredible facets to this person's life and what she's created and what she's done. And when we discuss how we met, you'll understand why I am so inspired by the work that she's doing in the world. So everybody, let's hear a round of applause and welcome Sadhvi Sadali to the show. Thank you so much, Rosie. Thank you. So honored and excited to be here with you. I mean, I have so, so many questions and especially for people that are listening that don't know what uh, being a female monk is, especially a Jane female monk. Am I saying that right? Is it Jane? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Jane, Jane female mm-hmm. monk. You're also a U.S. Army Iraq veteran. You're an international speaker. You're an author. You're a documentarian. You're a social justice warrior. I mean, your resume of selfless work in the world is like so incredibly inspiring. I was telling one of my friends about the documentary where we met and about human trafficking. And it was so impactful to me and my partner. I I came with Tori, my fiance, and he was equally impacted. And we were just so grateful that there are people like you that are doing this work in the world. So again, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm going to let you speak. (laughs) I'll let you speak. But I just, again, want to express my my gratitude for you being here today. Thank you. No, I'm excited. And, um, you know, learning about you and, you know, what I've heard about you and, and of course your podcast, you know, you, we both have come from hard beginnings. You didn't know this about me, but um, I'm from LA. I grew up and was raised in Wilmington, California. I went to Catholic school and would have never imagined that this almost like what, almost 40 years later, I'm going to be in Texas, you know, running a retreat center, being a filmmaker and so forth. But I always come back to my beginning, right? Because that's the humble humility practice of the spiritual path is like you came from somewhere, you've experienced so many things and it's through the values, the life experiences of And that's what turns you into, you know, the being who you are today. So growing up in Wilmington, I had not that it was like a super troubled childhood, but I mean, I did experience trauma, child abuse in that sense. And, you know, there were gangs and and drive-by shootings and so forth. So when people know that I come from Wilmington, they're like, wait, what, where? 
where are you coming from? And it's like, anything is possible. And I mean, just pain to purpose, right? Yeah. And it really is, you know, the, the sort of experience of allowing your pain to be your message too. And, and part of what inspires you to help people. I mean, I know that one of the things that really helped me stay on my path in the world of meditation, mindfulness, yoga, was the fact that I saw how deeply it impacted my life. And I wanted to be able to bring this to people like the people I grew up with, you know, people Mm -hmm. in my community and people who don't see a path forward other than what society has presented to them. And so, yeah, I mean, look, we can This conversation can go in many directions, but I think just to begin, because I feel like your spiritual practice is such a pivotal stronghold in your being and when what you do, do you mind telling us a little bit more about Jainism and how it differs from, let's say, like Buddhism or, you know, other spiritual practices? It's actually really close to just think like an Indian form of Catholicism. It's really interesting, right? That's literally the best description. (laughs) So good, literally. So you have your monks and nuns, you have your rosary, right? You have Mm -hmm. your self-reflection, meditation, but of course you have like different things like found in Buddhism or or Hinduism. So really it's like, I don't even consider it a religion because when I actually moved like onto the spiritual path, I remember just having this, you know, conversation with God. And um, at that time I was 18 and I was going to a yoga studio and I'm like, oh my goodness, like I'm finding God here, right? I'm, I'm experiencing this peace. I was raised Catholic, went to Catholic elementary school, high school, altar girl, volunteering and all of these things. And so it was in my blood, right? But something was missing and I was going through a lot of pain. My mom had passed away when I was 13. So when I was a teenager, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of just so much heartbreak just to think like, okay, my mom is gone at one that was hard. And then at the most critical time in my life, I'm trying to find myself and I can't figure it out. I don't have that female guidance. And so I was lost and I was very angry at God because I was like, how I'm so religious. I'm so like in total surrender, God's will all the way. And then this is what happens, right? So I was just blaming God, but I just didn't understand that, you know, maybe I had to go beyond that. So 9-11 happened. And that was one of my kind of catalyst moments where something needs to change inside of me because I was unhappy, but I knew that happiness was on the outside. I knew that there was purpose outside, but I just couldn't access it. So it's actually, and that's what I, why I love um, the title of your podcast. It was the journey of self-love, right? And I didn't know what that meant because in Catholicism, it's always serving others, serving God, loving others, silencing your voice. I am by background, Filipino, like suppress your emotions, be quiet, so, I mean, you're, you're not like, like, keep you it all it. in. You're yeah, no, I get it. it. Totally. Keep it in. Happy I'm face. a recovering Catholic as well. So I get it. So just going through just that transition of, and coming to this moment where like, okay, like I, I want to find God more. I want to know and love myself because this is like a whole new idea. 
but I feel guilty because I was raised to feel guilty about challenging and doubting and questioning God, right? And Jesus and, and all of these things. And I have to, uh, I have a story to tell you later, but just that transition, I remember going to the yoga or about to go to the yoga studio. And my dad says, you know, you're, you're going off to that yoga studio again, you're joining a cult. And this is like, this is 2002, right? Yeah. You, you know, this time. So it's not like yoga studios were everywhere. It's very, right. it was very thin, especially yes. like Torrance area and stuff. So I just remember crying in my car and just having to make the decision. Do I follow the God of my past or do I follow the God that I'm feeling so blissed out inside right now? And that was the yogic path for me, right? Like that was the beginning. So I remember crying and then turning on Enya and then driving to the yoga studio. Because right? I know this is our time. Like I feel that for me, Rosie. Like this is our time. Like Enya, yeah. that song and just totally. going to the yoga studio in tears. But I'm blissed out because I made the decision that I was going to find myself. And that's the hard thing, especially in the spiritual path and, you know, learning about it. It's you know, how do you let go or transform what you were raised with into like your new beginning, right? Yes. So I never lost the religious aspect of me like that, that love, that respect and like all of that, but it just, the energy transformed, right? Because now it's expanding. Like I see religion more as boxes and then like spirituality is like that freedom. So like I, even in the beginning when I became a monk, I was like, I don't even want to be called a Jane monk. I was just so adamant about no more labels, right? I'm, I'm a spiritual monk, right? But then I eventually embraced it because I understood what it meant. And so, yeah, that was just a really big moment of, you know, transitioning from, kind of like the religious aspect to the spiritual aspect. And what's funny is like two weeks later, I was very close to my elementary school principal, who was a nun, Sister Rina. <laughs> and she called me and she's like, you know, I just came back from India. And, you know, it just doesn't matter if you're you're Hindu, if you're Muslim, if you're Catholic or you're Christian or or whatever, like all paths lead to God. And I'm like, Thank you, Sisterina. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge, right? Because that's validation for my young mind that needed that. That, And that's from a Catholic nun. So that's official. Like, I don't have to feel guilty for choosing a spiritual path, right? And so, of course, that led to other things. But I mean, God has, you know, in that in the religious aspect, spiritual aspect has always been a part of me. And to begin the journey to explore myself and then just see that ultimate connection that, you know, we're no different. Everybody's on the same journey. We're just at different places. Right. So, yes. I mean, to summarize, like I already forgot the question, but it's just, no, it's you know, fine. that it's was, that, that was, that was the beginning. Yeah. And so like, this is around the time. So 2000, 2001, when did you get deployed? So I got deployed in 2004. I got the call. So that was pretty, yeah, I had like two years. So I, right after I graduated high school, I had my summer of yoga training, mm -hmm. went into basic training. Then I went into army medic school, came back, was an ambulance driver in LA. Like, uh, is it Paramount? Is that an area? There's Paramount. Yeah, yeah. there is yeah, Paramount. Like, yeah, like Orange County. So Commerce, that was kind of, like that yeah, whole yeah, area. Exactly. Uh -huh. So I was, I was there driving ambulances and then I was part of the army national guard for California. So eventually that call came and I'm like, oh my goodness, like 
how is it? And by this time I found my spiritual teacher in Riverside, right? That was like my godsend. And I remember just like getting so angry, like, God, how can you do this again? Like that, like, is this my spiritual test? Right. Because I finally found a real spiritual master and masters are rare. And I was like, this person is what I hope I could achieve within myself in my own way. And like the answers are there, the clarity is there, the wisdom is there and all of that. It was just feeding my soul because I was so hungry. I was such a truth seeker. And I remember just getting that call and I'm like, I can't believe it. Like, I'm going to go to war and die. Like, this is like, this is the ultimate chance. Like, how can I, like, I decided to be spiritual. I decided to do yoga. I decided to meditate. I decided to start changing my life. And then this like slam in my journey. But that was for me, a true test in, in the sense that, you know, you never give up and it was also that physical experience of war, right? So you're mm-hmm. in a negative environment, mm-hmm. right? Like even just being in society, it, it, there's there's negativity totally. around and then we have to do our meditation. We have to do our practices. Yeah, but, but this is a different, this whole is different ultimate. ballgame. <laughs> this yeah. is like scary. This is, it's war. But at the same time, I realized, and this is some of the realizations I had at war is there's a war going on inside of us all the time. You don't have to go to the Middle East to face a war. Close your eyes, listen to your mind. You're the terrorists are inside of your mind, right? So there is no comparison. So I realized at that time that everybody is fighting an internal war and nobody's talking about it. Like everybody has PTSD from their own stuff. Nobody's talking about it. And so so going out there, coming back, of course, I, I felt disconnected from myself. And what's interesting is I remember going to Iraq and saying, I'm going to be doing my meditation practices every day. I'm going to be bringing peace. I painted an Om, which is like a, a Hindu symbol of, of God, right? Um, it's a mantra that I painted on my door, just like plastering it, like peace is here, kind of just declaring that, mm-hmm. you know, I was 21 and um, I promised myself I wouldn't lose myself. And then I lost myself. And I was like, I thought I would never lose myself after finding myself when I was 17, 18 years old. So that was really scary. But fortunately, I was in communication with my teacher once in a while. And so I would just hear those spiritual messages. Right. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you know, military training is like monk training. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, and I'm like, monk, what? Excuse me. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> it's like those little scenes. Right. Yeah. But it's yeah. true because it's a the military life is a life of discipline. It's a life of, you know, you eat whatever you eat, whatever's there. It's very, you know, humbling. You sleep wherever you need to sleep. You go wherever you need to go. So it's a practice of non-attachment in a different way. But I don't think people realize that in the military, they just think it's part of the job. But as a spiritual practitioner, it was actually preparing me to take on the monk life, right? That discipline, the practices, yeah, the, the structure, the, steady, the structure, the steadiness and so forth. So weapon of love now, right? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, coming out of that, like, what was that like for you? Obviously, you had some traumatic experiences when you go yeah. to war, as you do, you know, and I I work with a lot of veterans of war, practicing mindfulness, you know, practicing yoga nidra. And for years, it's it's just, it's so interesting how it impacts people differently, right? Mm-hmm. 
And so what was your experience? You know, how long were you there? And what was that transition coming back home? I was deployed for 16 months and coming back home was very, very hard because I, I lost myself. Right. So I'm feeling very disconnected and then I'm home and I don't feel like, I think everybody was happy that I was home, but not everybody was looking to listen and understand what I had gone through. So I was just connecting with, you know, the soldiers I deployed with, but that was it because, because of the friendships, I I feel like I mentally survived at war, but then I came home and it's like, I want to tell, I want to release, but it was like, we don't want to hear it. Like it's too much for us or something. And, and I was just trying to respect that, but it also frustrated me because I'm also trying to heal too. So, I mean, I just remember being like very hypervigilant. I hear a, a car pop. So I duck behind the couch. I hear like the back, your door open and like I'm I grab a knife just to protect myself it was just really weird and feeling lost feeling a lot of anger just because like my body had gone through so much shock in that sense so it's kind of like everything starting to come out and at the same time feeling numb mm-hmm. and then it was like oh, I don't even know how to get back to my old self and so I mean I was connecting with my teacher I went to the Riverside Ashram and that was always helpful but I was still pretty lost. Like by this time I was drinking a lot. I was smoking a lot. And I mean, before Iraq, I was, you know, trying to be spiritual. So I didn't do those things. And then after that, it was like party all the way. And then, I mean, you're familiar with satsang. And so for the listeners, so a satsang is a community gathering of, of spiritual learning. And it's really embarrassing, but I even attended satsang on a hangover. I was so desperate to hear something good, but I was just a mess inside. And I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed, but I'm like, I need help, right? I need help. And so after some time, I just remember reaching this point where I, I really need to change and I need to get serious about my spiritual path. And I went back to my teacher and I said, I'm ready. I'm ready for training. Like I want to be a monk. I know I need to clean my life up. And so he started me on pranayama, his purnam mm-hmm. yoga system, starting to clear the toxins, getting back into my discipline of meditating every day, doing my yoga every day, doing my mala, my mantras, you know, using the, the rosary and, you know, just, it's just creating my own bubble of spiritual living again. And I was not going to let anybody, any situation, no nothing stop me, even though everybody thought I was crazy. Yeah. I mean, how, (laughs) my question, how, how does this impact your relationships? Oh yeah. Like my, my dad was still like, Oh, you're, you're going to that ashram again. I'm like, this thing's, this is saving my life. Right. Talking about, (laughs) you know, my friends were getting scared for me because they were losing the person they knew Mm. in their mind. Right. Because now I'm not, I'm not going out, like, let's say partying or I'm not going out doing something, or I just don't find pleasure in doing something that I used to do. And I'd rather be at home practicing like my quietness and like my meditation or whatever. So they felt like they lost me. And then part of me was angry that they don't get me, that they don't accept me and just going through that side of things. And I just felt alone. And so it's like, it's weird because it's like, I'm already starting to renounce my family and friends in that sense, because in a way that's kind of what you need to do, at least not be affected by it in order to be a monk, right? You're renouncing the world. Doesn't mean you're saying goodbye. Doesn't mean you, 
it doesn't mean you stop loving them, but they, you're not attached to them in the sense that they hold you back. Right. And that's like the, uh, being a monk was the ultimate practice. I think of following your heart in my case, because I'm letting go of everything to do this life, because this is the only thing that makes sense. Like my spiritual life, I want that 24 seven for the rest of my life. And I want to focus on spirituality because that is what I can see the only freedom. There's no freedom in money. There's no freedom in fame. There's no, there's nothing in ego power, like all of that stuff. Like none of that is going to bring me to my soul inside of me. It's actually more of a distraction, right? So I was chasing that and I'm still on that journey. It'll be 15 years as a monk this year. Wow. But um, it is like my cousin still, she's like, so are you kind of done? Are you going to come back home soon? I'm like, dude, it's like, it's over a decade. Yeah. Like, I think I'm good. Like, this is not like the excitement thing. It's not like I'm going to go try something and then you stop it after three months. Right. It's a lifelong commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. I took vows to be a nun and that's, that's what I did. So I love that. I mean, the fact that you were able to heed that voice within you to make that decision and follow your path. I can absolutely relate to that when I did my meditation for the first time and I felt my breath for the first time and I felt my body for the first time. And I was 15, 16 years old where I was so used to disassociating from my body, you know, childhood trauma, like, you know, being in an environment that was constantly on, you know, you were in fight, flight or freeze it really showed me that there was something bigger that I can lean on. And yeah, being raised Catholic, it's the same thing, right? This is your conduit to God only. But that's not what I felt. I felt like, no, there's something bigger. There's something that I can connect to that's just this reservoir of love. And it makes me feel safe and it makes me feel content in my body. And, you know, I had to follow that thread. I had to heed that call just like you did. And I always find it so inspiring when people are able to hear that voice and say, oh no, this is the way. This is the way for me to achieve that freedom, to achieve that abundance, to achieve that never ending well of love, of peace. And so... Yeah, I mean, I'm completely inspired by your ability to do that, especially after, you know, losing yourself. And I feel like a lot of us go through that at times. It's almost like a rite of passage where we are faced with a very difficult situation in our lives. And just like you said at the beginning, we're all at war. There's an internal war happening. I I can't help but think of the story, the Bhagavad Gita of Arjuna and Krishna in this, should I fight? Should I not fight quandary? Mm -hmm. And the sort of depiction of, oh, you should fight. Oh, no, you shouldn't fight. Oh, you should fight. Oh, you shouldn't fight. The back and forth between him and his higher power, essentially God. And ultimately, sorry to ruin the story, but Arjuna ends up going to fight he ends up going to battle because that was part of his his dharma's duty but we have the ability to make the choice whether we we fight or not fight and it's like the whole idea of of nonviolence right is mm-hmm. is a big practice in jainism i know right. um 
And in the beginning for me, I had a really hard time. I'm like, how is this story spiritual? Like this is, it's talking about war, but I'm like, oh no, this is extremely spiritual because we are at war. Like this Mm -hmm. is the absolute best metaphor for us to understand the obstacles that we face and the levity of the situations in our lives and how we have to find the courage to push through those obstacles and achieve this, our highest potential. So anyway, I'm like, we can talk, we can talk about that forever. But But just to add to that real quick, Rosie, it's, we see the fighting, but the, the real path is fighting with yourself, right? Not fighting inside of yourself, like fight, you know, your mind is fighting against itself, but you need to fight yourself. And that's why like in Sanskrit and, and our greeting here, we say Jai Sadatma, which means we celebrate the liberated souls, right? And so like the Jinas in the, in the Jain system, it means they have become victorious over themselves. And that is open to anybody that is on the spiritual path because the fight is with you. The external war is like, we have all of these, like the the friends, the family, life, like that's the external war. But now you have to conquer yourself. Are you a master of yourself? Can you master your thoughts? Can you master your actions? Can you master your speech? Can you master your fears? Can you master your emotions? And, and so you're, it's that constant fight, but you need a lot of energy to fight. And so, and that's the thing, because usually we just fight with other people. Yeah. Right? Or it's just because expectations, disappointment, blah, blah, blah. But who wants to look in the mirror and say like, okay, I'm up against you. Like, how Ooh. are we going <laughs> to, you know, but it's like, but I love myself. Right. But I right. love my, but this is the truly like the practice of unconditional love where you can see every weakness and lower quality inside of you and still say, I love you. I got you. We're going to transform all of these into something greater inside of us because it's all energy, right? It's just transforming something lower to higher, but to face that usually no one wants to see that, right? No one wants to know that they're actually being judgmental or they have an addiction or they have an anger issue or they're jealous or whatever, or they have an ego. No one wants to see that even spiritual people like oh, I, yeah. I, I see that a lot, especially like because, because they think, oh, because I'm spiritual, I'm better than the Catholic that I, you know, all that. No, no, humble yourself, right? Because the higher you go with your mind, the harder to fall. So it's better to stay grounded, right? So facing yourself, and this is a technique for, for your listeners. It's called the spiritual practice, and it's called Pratikraman. And basically, this is self-analysis. So at the end of each day, you analyze what are your mistakes during the day. So you want to call that sins, mistakes. I'm telling you, Catholicism, Jainism, right? But let's call it a spiritual practice because that's what it is. Like, okay. no labels, right? No labels. And then you, you're you honest with yourself. Like, oh, okay, I said a bad word today. Or I judged somebody one day. Or somebody cut me off on 405 and I flipped them off. Or And you just note these because... Something about nonviolence is we consider ourselves good people, but we also don't see the violence that we commit to ourselves Mm. and others. So nonviolence is kind of like the extra level of practice and awareness that, okay, I'm going to be nonviolent towards myself and my thoughts, actions, and speech. I'm going to be nonviolent towards others, not just humans, animals, living beings, don't kill a spider kind of thing in your thoughts, actions, and speech, because you are that. You don't see it right now, but that is you. So 
coming back to you have this list of what the mistakes you've made. And then now you can practice that awareness. And now you can start working on yourself. But who wants to do that as a practice to see and face every single day all of your wrongdoings? So that's why we call it in our practice self-analysis, because this is not the criticism or judgment that we kind of have in society where like I'm criticizing myself, I'm being hard on myself. This is actually using it with the intention of improving yourself, of raising yourself. Like how do we grow into our higher self? Well, you got to see the low because otherwise you can grow spiritually, but then you're going to feel capped, right? You're going to feel like, well, why, why am I plateauing? Why am I not being able to push beyond? Well, maybe you need to go deeper and deeper into the things that you don't want to face, the pain that you don't want to look at or the fears that maybe, you know, you've covered up, but you're, but it's really deep down inside of you. So this practice helps to bring things slowly into light. So as a beginning spiritual practitioner, these are the things you can work on, improve, and then now you're practicing awareness. Mm -hmm. And then now throughout the day, you're becoming better and better and better. And you're just like, oh my goodness, I could do this. I love myself for this. Like I can forgive myself. I can trust myself. I can, because you're laying it all out on the page and there's yeah. no hiding. You can't hide from your soul. Yeah, so you might can't. as well just might as well get on the same page and like, let's do it. Soul's been waiting, right? Soul's yeah. been waiting for us. So oh so so good and so true. And what a great practice. You social activism is such a huge part of your work as a monk. So can you share a little bit about the films that you've directed and why film has been such an important medium for you. Yeah. What's interesting is I didn't want to go home after school. So I didn't want to go home. It was just a dark place. It was a negative place and I didn't want to face it. And fortunately, my, one of my high school instructors, he, um, it was part of the ROTC program and he wanted to do like a TV news show for, for the high school. And so I was selected as the anchor. And of course I'm super shy, super like embarrassed. Like I, I, I'm sweating, just going through the scripts and repeating. Like, I'm like, I hate my life. This is so embarrassing. This is 15, 16 years old. Right. And oh, yeah. just in front of like everybody. Yeah, right? everyone. We're all feeling that way. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, but I found like a love for it because you know, learning how to edit, learning how to use equipment, learning to tell a story or or share the news. I enjoyed it. Like I just felt alive with it and I didn't have to go home. I could stay at, at the school as long as I needed to, to finish my projects. And so, but I just thought it was going to be TV production. Like that was it. I didn't know I would actually use it in the future. So from my experience, like I was uh, sexually abused as when I was six years old and I remember, well, I had forgotten about it. So I fully suppressed it. And because I had to survive, if I told anybody, the person would kill me. Right. So going back to school, I had to appear normal. So I suppressed it and then I forgot about it. And it's interesting because a few years into monkhood, actually like five years, I was in a deep meditation. And that's something about meditation. You never know what's going to come up. And so I was fully in the state where my body was totally relaxed. I fully let go and I relived the entire trauma. And that was so hard for me because 
I mean, people come to the retreat center where I live and teach at, and, you know, they, they're looking for techniques to heal from PTSD. And it's like, oh my goodness, everything's kicking up again. Everything's feeling like it's like, I'm feeling dirty. I'm feeling ashamed. I'm crying on the floor. Like this is totally out of character for me. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What are the steps? And then of course I started doing my practices. So reliving that and then learning about human trafficking. So I started connecting to the survivors. Like, like this is one experience that I went through and this has traumatized me. I can't even imagine when girls, boys, you know, young or older are getting raped over and over and over again for profit, like just all around the world, including the United States, including California, LA, Texas, wherever it's happening everywhere. And so there was a moment where I was actually going to go back to the Philippines in 2015. And I just remember thinking like, well, if I'm going to go visit my family, like I want to go do something out there. So I was thinking I could do a meditation class, women's empowerment class. And I'm like, okay, well, what are the things that are important to me? And I'm like, well, human trafficking, helping children, helping women, equality. So I just started looking at the paper and I'm like, you know, maybe I can do something like on human trafficking. Like I was just gravitating towards that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And I suddenly thought of film and I'm like, oh my goodness, like that doesn't even make sense because I don't have a background in filmmaking. I don't have, like, I was just on a TV show. Like that was, that was high school. But I remember just feeling something inside of me come alive. Like this is the time, like this is like, let's do this. And I was scared because in the sense that I don't have the experience. What if people are going to reject me, my pitches? Like, so a lot of fear coming up, but I just remember asking my spiritual teacher, Charya Sri Yogesh, and asking for his blessing. Like, I, this is something that I want to do. And is this something I, I can do? And he's like, of course, like, this is a way to help people. So we went on the adventure of making our first film, Stopping Traffic, and that was released in 2017. And we went to different parts of the world, like Mexico, to the Philippines, around the United States. And it was such a, a huge experience just interviewing survivors and just beginning my own healing journey in that sense. But it's interesting because it took the second film, Surviving Sex Trafficking. That's the one, you know, you watched last year. Yeah, that's where we met at the Surviving Sex. Yeah, Surviving Sex Trafficking premiere. Right. And so it was, I felt after that film, so let me check back. So the first film, Stopping Traffic, was more of like, um, what is sex trafficking? Why does it happen? Where does it happen? And so forth. But we actually didn't feel like it was enough. Like it, it didn't feel complete. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the question came up, well, what happens to the survivors? Like what's their healing journey? Like what do they go through? Because it's one thing to survive the life, but then it's even harder in a way after they exit or get rescued or managed to escape because now they have to close their eyes and remember and feel their pain again. And maybe they have a criminal background. Maybe they were, you know, they just have a lot of mental, emotional, physical issues. And so what does that journey look like? And so within that film, just bringing in that spirituality, bringing in like, hey, pain is universal. Maybe we won't ever go through what like a sex trafficking survivor has gone through, but we can still relate you know, through pain and through pain, all of us can heal. As long as we take that step, we identify what is it that we're trying to overcome? What guidance, what resources, what do we need to do? And really it's that journey is the spiritual journey. 
Yeah. And it was such a great film. I mean, it truly, the the surviving sex trafficking specifically for me was just to see the sort of process that women are going through because we don't get to see that, right? It's like when veterans come back from war, where are there, and there's more resources now than ever, but it's still an everyday process. It's still an ongoing healing that I can't imagine ever ends, you know? And, And I think that having more people become aware, and I think that is sort of the intention of these films and your work is to make more people aware, make mm-hmm. people more conscious. Hopefully we can eradicate this completely. I mean, that is the ultimate goal. But I I do feel like it really opened up my mind and my my heart to so many people that are out there suffering in silence. You know, mm-hmm. that are not able because of they're ashamed or perhaps they're, yeah, they feel like they deserved this somehow or they were complicit and they say to it, they could have asked for help. Just, you know, all of the different stories in the film, like I had so much empathy and and it really, I mean, it's heartbreaking because because it is very confronting for people and some people mm-hmm. just avoid the topic completely right. and and which I think is a huge disservice. I understand it is a difficult topic to deal with but as you said i mean we're at war constantly with ourselves like and that is probably the reason why some people may avoid the topic completely because they feel like there's already so much going on in their lives but i really do feel like shining the light into a dark place like this really you know it's like what does it say it's like the sun is the best remedy you know you mm-hmm. bring things to light and all of a sudden you can have something you know, be cleansed or grow or be, you know, the, the truth will set you free. And I think that part of our duty as spiritual practitioners is to be able to shine a light and to bring voice and to be able to show the world what is happening and still Mm -hmm. happening. You know, we can be talking about this. We're going to go on, you know, you go back to the ashram and I go back to my home with my dogs and I move on. Right. But like, there are so many people that are still in this, this vicious cycle that have to live in this. And Mm -hmm. in order for us to help that, I think the more awareness we can bring to it, the more conversations we can have about it, the more we expose it, the more we can help eradicate it. Right. Absolutely. And it's interesting because you would never think that filmmaking is a spiritual practice, right? And that interesting. Well, you showed you me know. that it's, that that <laughs> it is possible, and I think that this is why I wanted to talk to you. It's very confronting, and it's you know what you said. It's shining a light, and it makes you like ask the question as practitioners: How are we enslaved in our own self? Right? Is it again? Back to the like the anger, the ego, the yes. all that. These are all changed. Lower qualities are all chains, right? And so, how are we even trying to free others? Can we free ourselves too, right? So, on the societal sense, like I think as practitioners, you know, it's something to keep in mind that spirituality means to view both the positive and the negative, right? I see this often when students and guests come to our ashram, and you know, of course, they want. They want the good stuff. They want the bliss. They want the the ecstasy. They want the epiphanies. They want the awakenings. They want the clicks. They want the kundalini energy and like yeah, all yeah. Of these things, right? But on the flip side, you have to also equally 
accept the negative too, right? And so just like my meditation experience, I relive trauma, right? So that's part of it. You have to see the other side and you have to be okay with both. That's like the practice of non-attachment, right? Mm -hmm. Just viewing and experiencing everything equally. And so that's why even just like my spiritual practices, like I could be, well, not really here, but like my life is not meditating all day. Like I would feel it's like the work I do is my meditation. That's where I find the joy. That's where I find the freedom because in helping others, you're helping yourself. And as you grow spiritually, you're now able to help others Mm -hmm. more. Right. So it's just so many things that are happening in the spiritual sense, but everything starts with you and the courage and the willingness to go into the dark and just bring that kind of weapon of brightness and bliss and, and love and all of, all the good stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I, I love everything that you're saying and I can talk to you for hours and I'm sure everybody's like, why are you going to stop this <laughs> podcast? So I, I do want to be mindful of time, but I also think that one of the things that I learned the most from you and this conversation is that there are many forms of spiritual practice. And mm-hmm. I think that ultimately the lesson here is not only the importance of being honest with yourself, but also to listen to that voice and be willing to do the work that you need to do in order to stay on the path. That is not easy. It's not Mm -hmm. easy for us to go into those dark places, but they're unfortunately necessary for us to confront. It's going back to what you said in the beginning that really struck me the person that you're at war with is staring right back at you in the mirror. Like that's deep, you know, because I feel like if we think about it in terms of why am I at battle with this person who I need to be loving with, compassionate with, kind with, be nonviolent with, nonviolent with not only my actions, but my words. And so I really do love everything that you talk about and that you teach. And I just, again, am so grateful for all the work that you're doing out there. And I hope that I can help in whatever way I can and and be involved with what you're doing because it's it truly is so inspiring. And I think that that's also the thing that's not talked about enough. The selfless practices that feed us, that really allow us to feel the fulfillment of what a spiritual practice can provide. It's not just the pranayama. It's not just the the movement. It's not Mm -hmm. the the feel-good serotonin going through your body. It's also those difficult parts that we at some point broach when we are doing spiritual practices, you know? So... All that said, to say thank you again for all the work that you do. And thank you. Before I ask you the final question, uh, where can people go for more information or to connect with you? Thank you, Rosie. Well, I've I've enjoyed um, this conversation. I know we'll have. I feel like more. we just started. I'm already, I'm already. I know, right? It's like part two, and it's like okay, when when I go out to LA, we're gonna do a workshop together. Yes, let's, let's, let's do something. We're doing it right, and um, yeah. I mean, I just I love these honest conversations, and you know, especially um, you know, with it, like spirituality is one thing. It, it's different out there. You know, there's the there's the fad spirituality and then there's the real spirituality, right? And we're on that same, 
on the real side. And that's not a not it's not a judgment <laughs> thing. There's just a difference of why it's that reason why exactly right yeah. And so you and I think people know this. Soul. I think people know that. I think people can see the difference, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. Sometimes, but then they're in between, and then they eventually get there. Right. It's it's just part of the process. But anyways, I'm sure we'll we'll talk more about that. Uh, but if anybody you know wants to learn more, our retreat website is sidaitan.org, and my website is sidalishree.com. Okay, great. We'll put that information in the show notes. If you're watching this on YouTube, the links will be here down below in the description. If you're listening to this, wherever you get your podcast, just click the info button and all of those links will be there. So be sure to check them out. Again, I can't thank you enough for your courage, your willingness to do the work that you do and for just being such an inspiring person in the world. I mean, you're really showing us what it means to be on the spiritual path. And again, I can't thank you enough for being able to meet you and having you be a part of our community now. And I'm really, really looking forward to doing something with you. So the final question for you is it pertains to the podcast and why I started the podcast. The whole idea is to bring people together, to get inspired, to provide support and the knowledge that we are radically loved by God, higher source, higher power, whatever you your belief is that we are radically loved and supported. So my final question to you is, how do you feel radically loved? How do I feel radically loved? Through truly the blessing of being able to meet my spiritual teacher, knowing that my soul found an enlightened soul to guide me on this spiritual journey. Right guidance is so hard to find. So I'm I'm grateful to my soul in the sense that it collected good enough karma to meet an enlightened being and study under an enlightened one. To me, that is the highest form of feeling radically loved because being in his presence and learning unconditional love that just showers me more with all of it. So yeah, that's how I feel radically loved and blessed in my life. Thank Thank you for that question. Oh yeah. Thank you for your beautiful answer. I love hearing people's answers, like, because you can see people light up when they're thinking about that experience, that feeling. And so it, it truly fills me up. So thank you. Thank you all so much for watching this episode. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast and share this with a friend if you found great value. Thank you all so much for being here. And Sadvi, thank you again so much for your everything that you do. Thank you. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.